Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. This morning, the text of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark tells the story of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. Then they went away and they found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And then he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything as it was already late... He went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious God, we come on this Palm Sunday to take our place among those who sing Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Speak to us now, for we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this morning we had a a little parade here of our young people on Palm Sunday waving their branches. Yesterday, hundreds of thousands of young people, a little bit older, throughout the country gathered in cities to march for our lives. Instigated by the survivors of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting several weeks ago in Parkland, Florida, where 17 were killed, both students and parents participated and spoke at these marches that took place, most notably in Washington, D.C., but also in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Miami and Chicago and Boston and Cincinnati and even Geneva and many other cities. Their message, we're done hiding from gun violence and we'll stop at nothing to get adult politicians to finally prevent this from ever happening again. According to the New York Times, it is an anguished and defiant message. And for many, it's their first act of protest and the beginning of their political awakening 
Whatever you may happen to think about the effectiveness of their effort, you have to admit it's pretty impressive that these young people have found their voice. These high school students from Parkland, Florida. I wonder how many of them may have participated in a palm processional like we just saw here at some point in their lives. They're simply doing whatever they can to try and prevent similar shootings in the future for other children, other families, other communities. And I applaud their activism and their sense of agency. Change can happen, but rarely does it happen without resistance. Today we celebrate another march, or was it a parade? in another city and capital of the world when Jesus enters Jerusalem to the shouts and the adulation of the crowds. By comparison, that was a much smaller affair, but it certainly has been remembered and reenacted for thousands of years. It, too, was filled with political overtones. This Palm Sunday parade, or was it a march? that protested the way things are for the sake of the way things should and can be. It too was an anguished and defiant message as Jesus entered Jerusalem that day. Now we're not used to parades really in the church. We're, we're used to processionals. In fact, ordinarily the choir processes at the beginning of our morning worship services, but not during Lent, not during this time of year, because Lent is just a less celebratory time in our life together at the church. It's a time of penance. It's a time of repentance, of self-examination, and thoughtful reconsideration of the sacrifice and the suffering of our Lord on our behalf. The mystery of what all that means for us. So the choir doesn't process during Lent. But on Palm Sunday, we allow our children to parade or march. The triumphant entry of Jesus is really a funeral processional because the parade of Palm Sunday leads to a crucifixion. Now, required reading for most high school students is Jack London, that 20th century author who often wrote about the Alaskan gold rush, the struggle for survival in the midst of a primitive and hostile environment of the Arctic. I loved the adventures of Jack London when I read them as a young man. In one well-known story, To Build a Fire, London tells the story of a man on an arduous journey along the Yukon Trail in northern Canada. The day is bitterly cold. It's already 9 o'clock in the morning, still mostly dark because the sun rarely shines that close to the Arctic Circle at this time of year. And this story begins with a protagonist who is unnamed, the main character, a man with more courage than brains who turns from the main path onto a little traveled trail eastward through the fat spruce timberland. He stops briefly to get his bearings 
He looks back for a moment. He surveys the landscape of his situation. And as far as the eye could see, there was only the unbroken, white, frozen terrain, except for that little dark hairline trail. He imagines it must be about 50 degrees below zero. But in actuality, it's much colder than that. Jack London writes, But all this, the mysterious far-flung hairline trail, the absence of the sun from the sky, the tremendous cold, the strangeness and weirdness of it all, made no impression on the man. It was not because he was long used to it. He was a newcomer to the land, and that was his first winter. The trouble with him was that he was without imagination. He was quick and alert in the things of life, but only the things and not the significances. The story continues. 50 degrees below zero meant 80-odd degrees of frost. Such a fact impressed him as being cold and uncomfortable, but that was all. It did not lead him to meditate upon his frailty as a creature of temperature and upon human frailty in general, able only to live within certain limits, narrow limits of heat and cold. And from there, it did not lead him to the conjectural field of immortality and humankind's place in the universe. 50 degrees below zero stood for a bit of frost that hurt and must be guarded against by the use of mittens and ear flaps and warm moccasins and thick socks. 50 degrees below zero was to him just precisely 50 degrees below zero. That there should be anything more to it than that was a thought that never entered his head. End quote. And as many of you know, the character in To Build a Fire eventually dies in that frozen tundra, unable to restart a fire as the cold slowly robs him of his capacity for any activity in the world. It's a world where there's little margin for error, especially when you're alert only to the things of life and not the significances. The trouble with him is that he was without imagination, writes Jack London. You may remember that Albert Einstein once said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Can you imagine life differently? Can you imagine life with greater purpose and a greater sense of community with others Can you imagine life empowered by the inexhaustible source of strength and love? Can you imagine a life transformed from timidity to courage and conviction? Palm Sunday and Holy Week invite us not only to be alert to the things of life, but especially to the significances. The significance of riding into the eye of the storm, of confronting hatred and bigotry and evil and all that robs human life of its significance. 
Jesus revealed his identity amongst those who had lost theirs. Among the sick and the rejected and the despised. He was recognized as the Lord by those who'd been deprived of their own humanity. That's the paradox of the cross. It was not the devout, it was the sinners who recognized him. Not the righteous, but the unrighteous. Who understood the significance of what was happening. And the reality of who he was and is. One must abandon every self-justification if you are to recognize the God who reveals himself in the crucified Christ. Maybe that's why there's so many more people in church today on Palm Sunday than there will be on Thursday at Monday Thursday or at Good Friday. We prefer parades. We prefer victory speeches to crosses in the depths of human travail. But he was despised and rejected and acquainted with grief before this week is out. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem in a carefully planned parade at the beginning of the festival of Passover. And he uncharacteristically draws attention to himself finally. Gone is the secrecy of his lordship and the ambiguous statements about who he is. It's the fullness of time. No longer is he telling those he healed not to talk about it anymore. He's no longer slipping out of town just as word is spreading about the amazing things he's doing and saying. Now he not only welcomes the adulation, he has planned for it. And even the stones along the road are about to shout out. The one moment in the sun before the darkness falls, he's in the eye of a cosmic storm on Palm Sunday. Before he makes his way up that hill where he is to be crucified later in the week in a very different processional, a very different parade, on a march towards freedom, with the crowd watching as he strains under the weight of his own cross, we have this brief interlude where the crowds are cheering his arrival in Jerusalem. It's triumphant and joyous note, but it belies the danger and the threat inherent in this situation. Jesus is received as a king as he enters Jerusalem, yet a king facing danger, a king about to be conquered, a king that comes not in strength with a mighty army, but alone and into the lion's den. And in a few days, it all goes horribly wrong. His coronation in the capital, in the seat of civic and religious authority, is a funeral procession, procession that's known only to Jesus. And so in a few days, it goes horribly wrong. We all know what it's like to have life 
and everything go horribly wrong in no time at all. We know how tenuous success in life can be, how quickly institutions move on without us, how soon they forget. We know how fragile our health can be. One doctor's visit and somehow it all seems to have gone horribly wrong. All our exercise, all our attempts. We know how quickly relationships can end, how fast and soon a spouse can leave or a child becomes alienated or a lover becomes an enemy. In a few days in our lives it can all go wrong. But Palm Sunday is about hope, but it's a darker hope than Easter. It's about hope in the midst of what C.S. Lewis called the Shadowlands, a place where most of us know and live, the valley of the shadow of death in the language of Psalm 23. Jesus sets out on a path to Jerusalem and he walks right through the worst that human beings are capable of. Apathy, hatred, betrayal, murder. Because that's what he came to do. That is what God always intends to do, to walk redemptively through all of human life. Even and especially when it all goes horribly wrong. Offering mercy and peace. Forgiving and forging a way into the future that leads to celebration and joy. In the face of what was before him, he begins with a parade or a march, if you will, to say the very worst of what humanity is capable of cannot stop the almighty God and God's grace and love. The Apostle Paul put it this way, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, and nothing, not even death itself, can stop this parade through history, the parade of those who've discovered in the ruler of the Lord of life. So Palm Sunday is an anguished and defiant message. It is a march for our lives that ends with only one marching up that hill to Calvary to save us, not himself. Now this morning, you may not feel like a conquering hero. In fact, you may feel like you've made a pretty good mess of things. Perhaps you are facing your life and problems alone, or you're on the verge of being conquered by some loneliness or compulsion of your own or some fear of the future. Well, you're not alone. Jesus Christ walked right through the worst of life, and he can show each and every one of us how to do it with his strength. God Almighty intends to walk with you through whatever you have to face, offering mercy and bringing peace 
So draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. Planted as it is at the very center of our faith, the cross makes Christian faith radically and inescapably down to earth. And by the cross, God declares in a way that's deeper than any words that there is no pain that you may bear that I have not borne, says the Lord. There is no darkness that can overtake you that I have not seen. There is no fear that might grip you that I have not known. All that might come to you, I have passed through. And when you come to pass through the storm, know that I will be with you. None of this explains away human suffering. It's simply the sign that in every age, God is with us. Through it all, God is with us. But then, of course... The cross is not the end of the story. But that's for next week. Thanks be to God. Amen.